And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's always an honor. I'm honored. Today is Tuesday, December the 1st, 2020, in the year of our Lord. Today on December 1, 1955, Rosa Parks, she was a black seamstress. Remember her? She was arrested after refusing to give up her seat to a white man on a Montgomery, Alabama city bus. Well, that incident sparked a riot or boycott. They boycotted the buses the blacks did for a year. Today in 1824, the presidential election was turned over to the U.S. House of Representatives when a deadlock developed between John Quincy Adams, Andrew Jackson, William Crawford, and Henry Clay. Adams eventually ended up the winner. I'm going to come back to that a little bit later this morning. There's uh, something to be drawn from that for our circumstances today. Today in 1860, the Charles Dickens novel, Great Expectations, it was first published. They published it in a weekly serial form. Today in 1862, President Abraham Lincoln sent his second inaugural message to Congress in which he called for the abolition of slavery. Then he went on to say this, and I quote, Fellow citizens, we cannot escape history. We of this Congress and this administration will be remembered in spite of ourselves. So true. That can be said of our times as well. Today, in 1941, Japan's emperor, Hirohito, he approved waging war against the United States, Britain, and the Netherlands. And it didn't take them long to get started. Today, in 1942, during World War II, national um, gasoline rationing went into effect in the U.S., The goal was not so much to save on gas, they say, but it was to conserve rubber, tires. They needed the rubber for the war effort. Today, in 1969, the U.S. government held its first draft lottery since World War II. And today, in 1989, Soviet President Mikhail Gorbachev met with Pope John Paul II at the Vatican. And today, in 1991, the Ukrainians voted overwhelmingly for independence from the Soviet Union. And five years ago today, President Barack Obama told the United Nations Climate Conference that parts of the global warming deal being negotiated in Paris should be legally binding on the countries that signed on. Yeah, he would say that. He would want us to be legally bound to the globe, to the global community, as he likes to say, to save the save the world, really, from climate change. We are about to burst into flames, according to the people on the left, the people who follow the science. As long as the scientist they're following says the things they want him to say or her to say, they follow the science. When the scientist disagrees with them, whether it has to do with COVID-19 or Warming temperatures. When the scientist doesn't agree with the agenda, away with the scientists. Interestingly enough, that's true with preachers and pastors as well. We live in a nation that talks a lot about faith. In fact, the two guys that are running against the two Republicans in Georgia are talking so much about faith, you would almost think they were trying out to be the pastor of a church. But one of them already is a pastor of a church. But how they're presenting, quote-unquote, faith may be very different 
than those who read, believe, and live by the Bible. That's the culture we live in. What is evil is sometimes presented as good. What is wrong is presented as right. What is light is presented as darkness, and darkness presented as light. The prophet Isaiah figured that out a long time ago under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Fortunately, he wrote that down so we can read it today, and God has preserved it. But these are those kinds of times. These are the times that we live in, just like then, because humanity is broken. We have sinned. We have come short of the glory of God. And we in ourselves cannot save ourselves. Neither can the governments that we form, although God says in his word in Romans that government is from God. We need to be organized and we need to have government to have order. But government is not God. Cal Thomas, a columnist, he was a guest periodically on the television show, the daily television show that I did for 12 years, many years ago. He was a guest on that. He was well-liked. We were on a number of network stations around the country and um, always got a good response when he was on as a guest. I liked him. I didn't get to know him really personally, but I knew him professionally. I interviewed him a number of times. I noticed he made a statement this week in something that he was talking about that caught my attention. He's, he's a good writer. He said, in totalitarian societies, governments suppress the church and religious worship. He said, that's because dictators think citizens should worship them as the highest authority and not a higher authority, which they view as a threat to their power and position. That's so true. I've seen that as I've traveled in missionary work and missionary evangelism and building, starting churches and so on during a certain period of my life. I've seen that again and again and again in third world countries. But the nature of humanity is found in first world countries. In fact, even in the greatest, most blessed, most prosperous, most free so far nation in the world. A nation that I love. The United States of America. In the United States, religious liberty has been under siege for a long time. Last week's Thanksgiving gift, I mentioned it on this program to believers, Supreme Court, it may be, they gave us a gift, but it may have only been a reprieve from government's assault on faith and conscience. Remember that five to four ruling last week? I mean, I talked about it. I praised the Lord. The court majority ruled that Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York overstepped his authority, the Constitution, when he arbitrarily declared that during the COVID-19 pandemic, worship services must be limited to a number that he created just out of the blue. I mean, it's just, here's the number. It's 50 or 20 or whatever. We were appreciative of that, I'm sure, in New York. But that's not just New York. It's a pandemic of perhaps taking oneself too seriously by these governors and leaders elected so-called public servants. Jay Inslee is none the least of them. Kate Brown in Oregon is, I mean, she likes people to know that she's the first bisexual elected to a governor's office. Beyond that, I don't know what she thinks. And Gavin Newsom, I think he thinks he's evolved 
already to become a god of sorts. I, I mean, I just watch these people. I don't know them. But it's amazing. They all have different personalities, but they all march to the same drumbeat. So in that context, when when they, when, when the, the Supreme Court, in a very narrow ruling, ruled five to four in favor of worship, the church, the very nature, the very principles upon which this nation was founded, we were happy. I was happy. I said, great. Praise the Lord. That's good. But it's interesting if we look at that from a, not a, not a cynical point of view, but a more observing point of view. In America, that was founded on freedom of speech and freedom of religious expression, and the Supreme Court ruled five to four that we can still do that, some of those freedoms are hanging by a thread. We need to be aware of that as well. I don't mean we shouldn't be grateful that the ruling, I mean, it could have been much worse. It could have been, you know, nine to nothing the other way. And if Joe Biden has his way, should he be able to crawl into the Oval Office? I will tell you, we're going to see more of this, not less of it. But what is it that causes so many Americans to place their faith in government over faith in God? Or even faith in themselves? False gods of wood and iron and bronze and gold? They've never answered prayer. You read back clear through the Old Testament. It's never happened. So why, when government fails again and again and again to answer the quote-unquote prayers of the people, why do we keep putting our faith in government? I don't know. Except that it's human nature. When government sets itself up as the ultimate authority on all things, including the right to gather and worship freely, other, other liberties are on the block. They can go very quickly. If the First Amendment is going to be challenged, even watered down when it comes to faith and practice, why not impose stricter controls on speech and the press? And That's done in totalitarian states. As I said, I've, I've been there. I've watched it happen. I've been among the people. I didn't live there, but I mean, I was in and out of there all the time in these third world countries, starting churches, preaching the gospel. I've told this story before. I won't tell it today, but I've been outside on the beach in the South Pacific and people that didn't like my message were throwing coconuts at me. And boy, coconuts, when they're, when they're green off the tree, they're heavy. I didn't get hit, but I was kind of preaching and dodging. I had a crowd out there and there's we ended up building a church, and local pastor took over, and I left. But, you know, I mean, I've seen this. I've been among them. And we're not a third-world country, but we're acting like one in so many respects. Once that principle that government endows rights is established, it's a very short step for the government to take them away. The, the firewall has been separation of church and state. The pilgrims, the pilgrims and their founding principles, they left England, they left Europe, they came here because they wanted freedom to worship God as their conscience dictated. The Constitution guarantees that right under the authority of God. In more recent years, the term, even separation of church and state, has become a banner for the far left. They use it to beat the church into submission, push them into their building, lock the door on them, and say, go ahead and worship. 
Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton even changed the word from religious freedom to freedom to worship. That's a very different meaning than what the Constitution says. They're always trying to undermine it all the time, presenting themselves as people of faith. We're doing this in the name of the Lord, and so on. But that term, separation of church and state, has been inverted. Thomas Jefferson, in his letter to the Danbury Baptist, he said, don't worry about the government fiddling around in the business of the church. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he said. He said, because we have built in a, a wall of separation, the government will not interfere in the affairs of the church. Now they have inverted that, as they always do, whether it's an election or whether it's a principle. They always invert them, the left, the progressive. They have no foundation. They're, they're the people building the house on the sand. Jesus talked about them. That house is always washed away by the storms and the difficulties of life. But they just move to another place and build another house that is soon to be knocked down by the storms of life. That's how lost progressivism is. And the people who adhere to that and embrace progressivism embrace a, a, a failed ideology. And there can never be peace and hope and joy and meaning in life. They constantly search for the purpose of life and they never find it. Because there is no truth in their world. The end always justifies the means. So whatever you do, it's great. If it works, if it gets you there, not a problem. The separation of church and state has come to me, we'll herd you up and we'll put you in a building. And if we have a virus, we'll tell you when you can go there and how long you can go there. I'm not overstating this. I know some of you probably are going, well, wait a minute. Now, Gary's really going off this morning. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. This needs to be said. There was a Wall Street Journal editorial this week. It was commenting on the court's decision. They got it right. They certainly got my attention. I don't agree with everything in the Wall Street Journal for sure, but I don't read everything in it, but I read quite a bit. But they said, quote, The court explains the New York's order treats houses of worship more harshly than what Mr. Como considers essential businesses. Those would include liquor stores, bike shops, acupuncturists, lawyers, accountants, and more. The Wall Street Journal. I agree. Over the years... Sermons have been preached from pulpits. I have preached them as a pastor about the fact that in the eyes of God, Jesus taught that if we, if we just break one commandment, we have sinned. We have broken them all. That doesn't seem fair, but that's God's rule. But that, what that does is it points us to the fact that we need a Savior, Jesus Christ. Because we can't keep the law. He taught, Jesus taught extensively on that. I mean, read the Bible. And we can't keep the law because we're not capable of living a sinless life. We want to. We strive to. I don't want to sin. I'm sure you don't want to sin. And when we do, we immediately ask God to forgive us. Forgive us of our sins and our trespasses. But we can't live a sinless life, and the Lord knows that, and that's why his son, Jesus Christ, came to earth, born in a manger, which we're about to celebrate later this month, his birth. But we can't live that perfect life. And if we break one commandment, we've broken them all. 
But the point is that the Savior has paid the price for our sins. But let me tell you the principle of that. As we look at the culture, the most important principle is that we need a Savior. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he can forgive us of our sins and justify us, making us just as though we had never sinned in the eyes of God. And that's why we worship and serve the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. But the principle of that, it's a good analogy when we're considering our liberties. If one liberty is threatened, all are potentially at risk. And I will tell you, former Vice President Joe Biden has promised to name some of the most liberal judges to federal benches if he succeeds in overturning this election and stealing it. And that's exactly what's going on. I am absolutely convinced, you can agree or not agree, but I am personally convinced, not because of my political persuasions. My political persuasions are guided by my conscious and my deeply held Christian biblical beliefs. That's what drives me politically. If people line up with that in some way to advance the kingdom of God and the cause of Jesus Christ in my mind, in my heart, prayerfully, that I can support that. And if they don't, I can't. I will not support them with any influence that I have. That's the time in which we live. Biden has promised all these things. He's appointing people like crazy. They're calling him president-elect. He's not yet president-elect. But who cares about the truth? From Associated Press to the little tiny newspapers out on the end of a peninsula somewhere, they're referring to him as president-elect. He may be that, but he's not yet. But if he should crawl into the White House, figuratively speaking, I mean, that's an analogy, but I mean, after he broke his foot the other day playing with his dog, supposedly, he probably will be crawling around for a while, or at least wearing one of those boots. I think he is wearing one of those boots now. But uh, that's that brings up a whole picture. We won't even get into that. But anyway, anyway, I digress. But um, religious freedom and constitutional rights, including the right to life, the Second Amendment, the right, religious freedom, all of this, we're one half step away when we start looking to the government to tell us what to do and when to do it, particularly when it has to do with worship and our relationship with Almighty God who created the heavens and the earth. Well, that's how I feel this morning on this Tuesday morning. I don't know about you, but I think that's what the Lord would have us to think and say, so I said it. I hope you do agree with me, because that's where we are today. Much hangs in the balance of every election. This is the most corrupt election I've ever seen in my lifetime, or if it, if they were as corrupt, I didn't know about it at the time, but I certainly know about this one. I am fully convinced that this election is corrupt. I wouldn't say to the core, but deeply corrupted. It has to be statistically there's anomalies that just can't be addressed in any other way. Um, and I've looked, tried to be very objective about it, but it isn't there. They have fiddled with this election in ways that we've not seen. There's always been corruption in elections, a degree of that, always. 
clear back I mentioned earlier, you know, back in John Quincy, he was the son of John Adams, the second president, founding father. He was a good guy. He was a Christian, but he was a politician. But there's always been a bit of that in politics in America because of the humanity that's part of it. But I've never seen anything that even approaches what we're looking at today. And the, the media censors it. They won't talk about it. And the group on the far left roll along. But God's in control. And he will remain in control. The Trump campaign is filing a lawsuit in Wisconsin today claiming abuse of absentee voting. They're specifically targeting 220,000 ballots. They filed this lawsuit to the Supreme Court today in Wisconsin, unless it's rejected. I presume they know that the court's going to accept it. I don't know. But they're alleging abuse around the process of absentee voting in the state. And as I said, it's specifically calling out 220,000 ballots. Michigan Senate Oversight Committee is holding a hearing today regarding absentee ballots in a county uh, during the presidential election that includes the city of Detroit, where they say where they say <laughs> that corruption is the norm. I can believe it. As Lincoln said, I mentioned earlier, history will remember us in spite of ourselves. The battle today is between light and darkness. It's not between Democrats and Republicans. It's not even a political battle. It's only played out on the stage of politics. But it's a battle, it's a spiritual battle between light and darkness, between freedom and bondage. It is, and that's how we need to look at this. That's how we need to understand this. Associated Press says Georgia has become the nation's hotspot this winter between Senate twin Senate runoff campaigns on January 5. Associated Press also says faith, I'm quoting them, has taken the forefront in this battle for control of the United States Senate and possibly the United States government. Should Biden crawl into the Oval Office and should Republicans lose in these two runoff elections in Georgia? The Democrats, the far left, will control the House, the Senate, and the Oval Office. And Kamala Harris will begin to impose her far, far left agenda on this country in the name of Joe Biden. He will not be capable to to be a, a president, and everybody knows that. He will act as though he's a president. They'll set him up. They'll put him on the throne. People will pass by. I mean, really. And I, I don't mean that cynically. I mean it with a broken heart. That's what will happen. They will put him up. They will pull his strings. Barack Obama will treat him like, you know, like a ventriloquist would. They'll tell him what to say, when to say. He'll say it. His lifelong dream is to, been the, to become the president of the United States. Should he get into the Oval Office? Through all of this deception and corruption, he will have achieved his goal. His goal isn't for America. If it were, he'd been talking about policy the last six months. He hasn't been talking about that. He's been talking about how to destroy Trump. That's all they've talked about. Nobody knows what they really want to do, except from history, we know that they're extremely pro-abortion and pro-death of unwanted babies. We know that LGBTQ plus XYZ, whatever else is they've now added to that, 
they know we know that that'll be a, an incredibly important agenda because they say it will be. They will want to become part of the global community, the global village. Hillary Clinton is jumping up and down because she thinks she's going to get a part of that. She probably will. John Kerry's in. All of these far-left people that have been hanging around the swamp, as it's called, for years, yeah, they're in. They're being appointed now by not even yet President-elect Biden. That's where we're going. Former Speaker of the House, Georgian Newt Gingrich, he says America's future depends on the outcomes of the elections for the U.S. Senate in Georgia. I think he's right, unfortunately. Sometimes faith is a facade to fool the public. Sometimes it's true biblical faith. We the people have got to be discerning. And these two people that are running down there, the Democrats, I'll tell you, they're not people of biblical faith. But they claim to be, especially the one. Jewish, John Osef, he doesn't say a lot about his faith except when it's convenient that he become a Jew. Otherwise, he doesn't mention it. But the other guy, the other guy, this Raphael Warnock, he presides over uh, over the church that Martin Luther King Jr., Ebenezer Baptist Church. He's the pastor, the senior pastor. And he's always quoting scripture. And he's presenting himself as a speaker, a, a voice of, of God. And he isn't. He hates America. He hates Jews. I'm, ta- I'm, I'm quoting from his sermons. I've spent some time on his sermons. It's depressing. He hates America. He's very anti-Jewish. He understands abortion. And on and on it goes. That's where we are. That's the battle that's being fought today. I wrote an article on that today, and it's at faithandfreedom.us. You should read it if if you can take a moment. It's not a long article, but it'll take you three or four minutes to read it. But you should read it. It gives you an update on that, and it gives you an update on the importance of that Senate race, the runoff that's going to be coming up in on January 5th. And that's why the whole nation, Hollywood, is moving out to to Georgia, literally. And Georgia, the far left in Georgia, and there is a far left in Georgia. It's not the red state that it once was. They're trying to figure out how to let these people register to vote, even though they don't live there. They're trying to get around the law. I mean, a lot's going on in Georgia because so much is at stake. So you can read that. It's at faithandfreedom.us. I also wanted to take a moment today. I understand that today is Giving Tuesday. And every organization, and I'm on a lot of mailing lists or email lists and stuff. Man, I've been getting uh, you know appeals. I got three of them from the same organization already this morning three different ones telling me it's Giving Tuesday, hashtag Giving Tuesday. And uh, that if I'll give a dollar, they'll get $2 from someone. Well, I wanted to just be sure that you knew that we don't have anyone in the wings that's giving us $2 for every dollar you give or three or four or five. But I want to thank all of you who are faithful in supporting us and helping us meet our budget every day. We need it. We wouldn't be here without you. Our address is Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009.